Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Hello and welcome back to Successful Minds. I'm your host, Patty Baranowski-Schneider. Today, I'm joined by Nadia Bajrami, a multi-award-winning strategic hypnotherapist, hypnotherapy supervisor, certified grief educator, mind coach, psychic medium, and Reiki master. So welcome, Nadia. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, uh, Patricia. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for having me here. So I uh, think you you said everything in one sentence very nicely. <laughs> Sometimes I'm tired myself having to say it all. Um, so as you can hear, probably I am French by birth. I'm currently living in Dublin, Ireland, uh, Europe. I've traveled the world a lot. And I live in Scotland and I have a corporate career as well. I had a corporate career. And uh, until one day, very briefly, so people understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, my why behind me. Uh, I got some uh, severe uh, health issues and I had some brain surgeries, mm -hmm. uh, three brain surgeries. And in 2015, I had my last uh, surgery and I said, right, it's the time now to find my calling, my path anyway, to change mm -hmm. my life. So I took a leap of faith and left everything behind and took a, literally a suitcase and <laughs> a and was drawn to Ireland. So that was about now 18 uh, 2017 when I came wow. to Ireland and I just knew that I don't know how but I just knew that I had to come here and find my path so I trained as a trauma therapist initially I let my spiritual abilities unfold and I just trusted the process which was quite unusual for me at the time because I, I, I used to be a control freak <laughs> and I said never mind we'll see what the what the future holds and I trained and very very quickly I set up my practice and then added some modalities like the Reiki, but I did initially train in mind coaching and, and strategic hypnotherapy, trauma therapy, and the spiritual work, um, I think was always there, but just, you know, expanded here. And recently I um, completed a, a certification in grief education and support. Okay. And I'm currently training as an end of life doula and all this in a nutshell comes back to trauma and grief from my own story of, of a lot of, grief losing a lot of loved ones and i just thought well you know everything comes together to basically turn your pain into purpose or wounds into wisdom wow i gotta say i'm pretty impressed that's a lot going on <laughs> and taking a leap of faith like that <laughs> yes for me at the time the me at the time yes it was scary it's always scary but i think when i reflect back i said okay you did well girl because yeah <laughs> the me that was the awesome. was very in the, the control yeah see it was yeah. time <laughs> absolutely i think you know deep down when it, it's time for a real change you know and i think something yeah. within us just tell us now yeah. it's now it's happening now and you, it's very intangible we can't describe it but it's just there yeah wow <laughs> okay can you share a bit about your journey and what inspired you to become an empowerment trauma and grief specialist absolutely so when i recovered from my health issues i uh, i i just said right i can't stop here i was a sales director at the time and i said i need help i didn't want to do psychotherapy i, I didn't feel i needed it so i've always been very much um 
passionate about the mind, the subconscious mind from a very young age. And I was drawn to hypnotherapy for myself. And I was living in a very small town in France and there was only one hypnotherapist in the whole area. And I said, well, let's try this lady and see if she can, I don't know, help me with my anger, grief. There was a lot, I, I lost a lot of people and everything bottled up. And I was a very angry person, very kind, but anger was always a, a, an issue. And I found this lady and I worked with her for about two years. And she literally helped me change my mindset, change the way I was behaving, eating, feeling. And it also gave me the leap of faith to then come here because when I finished with her, I, I had this opportunity to come to Ireland. So that was really what I would say pushed me to hypnotherapy. I always believed in it. Right. I knew the power of the subconscious mind, but experiencing it myself right. was obviously a game changer. So that was the empowerment piece. Now, the trauma and grief came slightly after. Uh, I, I lost my dad when I was nine. My, my best friend at the time, when I was 16, she, she took her own life. And my a person I was very deeply in love with passed away in my mid-20s. Right. So a lot of things down the line contributed to my mood swings and anger. And I knew I had to, to work on this, which I did in the past. And when I realized that, Right, maybe I can use my story and really help. I wouldn't even I don't even like to say help because help always implies that we're above people, but anyway, meeting people where they right. are on their journey. So that's in a nutshell what inspired me to, to to really do grief work and trauma work because we all have in some shape or form experiencing some sort of trauma right. and some sort of grief. And grief is not just at the end of a life, it's the end of a relationship, sports, career, etc. And I really felt that using my own story mm -hmm. to help other or to assist other people mm -hmm. um, would also give meaning to my life. That's pretty impressive. And I am another one who's like very um, into like the subconscious and all of that. And we, you don't realize how much goes on in our head. Because I went through something similar, not something similar, but I used mm -hmm. to suffer insomnia. And I went through a hypnotherapist. And it turns out within three visits, she had me cured. Apparently, as I'm sleeping, you don't know what your head is thinking of, but I was thinking of things from like when my kids were little and this guilt and all of this stuff that on an average day wouldn't thought that this is what your goes on. So a lot goes on in our lives behind the scenes and bringing that out can uncover a whole world of uh, remedies. And you have to be ready. You have to be ready. That's another thing as well, because as you just use the word, you unravel, you uncover and sometimes it can be pretty tough, and especially when you do trauma work, it can be very, I mean, I, I compare the brain to, you know, a garden where you have to weed out before you plant any new seeds and to, the weeding out process is not very uh, exciting, is it? Mm -hmm. You know, when I am not a navid gardener, but <laughs> I try, yeah. but if, if you weed out, it's quite, you know, it's, it's tiring, it's sometimes a bit, you know, boring. And when you do this trauma work or just the mind work, you know, with any issue, the subconscious mind, by the time you weed out, mm -hmm. it takes a bit of energy and it has to be released before we can plant what we call the new seeds of change as well. Yeah, especially with trauma, because I mean, I've learned that the brain is, it's designed to protect you. So if there's something traumatic that it, it you might not have any memory of it at all because it's trying to protect you from that. So if it, if it's manifesting in you and it's not good health-wise or whatever, like you say, you have to pull that out. It might not be pretty, 
but that'll release you from a lot of issues. So absolutely. Yeah, good job. <laughs> now, as a multi-award winning strategic hypnotherapist, how do you approach the integration of hypnotherapy in treating trauma and grief? Well, that's a, again a very interesting question. I think all my modalities, I had this um I, I was at a trade fair last year here in, in Ireland and I had the, somebody approach me and ask me, how do you bring all this together? <laughs> well, hypnosis for me, because it works on, with the subconscious mind, is the basis of everything. So hypnosis itself could be a big, scary word for people because they probably have seen things on TV and TV shows, what we call st stage hypnosis or entertainment. But I'm a clinician, I like a clinical hypnotherapist, so it's a strategic or clinical. So I use hypnotherapy as a, obviously a therapeutic tool. Mm -hmm. So how I approach it is really using the power of your subconscious mind. When we talk about grief, for example, now I'm a, I'm a grief educator, so if somebody comes to me specifically for grief, I will use my um, grief educator techniques, my life experience, which right. is a big part of my job as well, to help and again meet people where they are on their grief journey or on the trauma journey. Mm -hmm. But at some stage, you know, we say that every trauma has grief, not every grief has trauma. Okay. And when you use the power of the mind, if somebody, for example, comes for, for grief, uh, education or support, you will very, maybe not every time, but very often you will see that there is some trauma and that the way they speak to you, the way they express themselves, shows that something in the childhood has not been resolved. And then you do some great work, but you can then integrate the hypnosis here to, to deal with that piece which was not dealt with for so many years. A very, very simple example. I had a, a client that came to me and for grief, specifically for grief, we lost somebody very close, and we started working, and at some stage, he kept, I think, session two or three, he would repeat to me, but you don't listen to me. You don't listen to me. Listen to me. And he kept repeating it. And then I stopped him and I asked, I think session three, I think, I asked him, who didn't listen to you when you were growing up? And then he stopped. And then he said, oh, my God. And it was like, a. it's very strange to explain like that, but it was a very enlightening moment for him because we just... I made him realize he did it himself, but I kind of helped him to see that, right, the little boy or the inner child, or we can call it a lot of names, but the, the inner little boy inside it, little, little child, his needs were not met, were not nurtured at some stage. And then when he experienced deep grief, those traumas came back on top of the grief. So he felt that here again, he wasn't listened to. And that's how you can integrate the hypnosis, the grief work. It, it's about it might sound a bit corny, but it's really tuning in to the person's energy. Really, yeah. it's, it's understanding. You know, your clients speak to us. Yes, mm -hmm. they speak to us with words. Mm -hmm. There's body language, and there's also us as therapists, and in my case, also energy worker, to read between the lines. Because in this case, it has nothing to do with me anyway. When we work right. with clients, it has nothing to do with us. Right. It's the, you know. Wow. <laughs> Hopefully that makes sense. You know? No, absolutely. That, that definitely is because you do. You have to kind of dissect little people because we don't see it ourselves. We need somebody from mm -hmm. the outside to point it out. Yeah. Now you're a certified grief grief educator trained by David Kessler. So how has this work influenced your approach? And what are some of the key takeaways you implement in your practice? 
Now, I have to be honest, this this certification with David Kessler has, has been, a, again, a game changer here and has been an amazing add-on for my own life, again, my own healing journey, and for my client, because it is not grief counseling, it's not even grief therapy, it's really using, it's, it's educating people, staff members in organization, but also individuals who are experiencing grief, around grief and death, as well as creating, I would say, a supportive environment for their grief to be witnessed mm-hmm. and for their grief to be lived, you know? Yeah. So it's not just, right, I, not just, I, I listen to you, you've lost sister, your mother, and I'm here to listen. Listening is a big part of it. But it's also challenging uh, the person in grief. It's also reframing. Never, never count, you know, going against what they're telling us, but just educating them on grief, on death, uh, and, and and one of the key takeaways here is, again, seems very simple, but two or three things I really learned and stuck with me. I learned a lot with David, but two or three that really stuck with me is death is random and you didn't cause your loved one death, you know, because when we lose somebody, we don't realize that we think everything is against us. God is against us. The whole world is against us. And we don't realize that thousands of people dying every day Hence, death is random. So there's a way of approaching it, obviously. You know, I wouldn't just say to somebody, oh, yeah, your loved one's death was random. But it's all those educational pieces around death, grief, figures, statistics that are quite powerful when you work with somebody going through the pain. It will never numb the pain. We're not here to take any pain away because grief is precious. It has to be lived. But it's also educating people. So then in their daily life, they can also challenge themselves yeah. when they're feeling they're going back in the rut, you know? Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at that time, you know, everybody feels it's an attack on them. You know, why Absolutely. did this happen to me? Why did yeah. you? And it is true. It is random. I mean, yeah. I, I live in New York, so you see 9-11. So people Absolutely. were on their way to work exactly. and stuck in an elevator. There's yeah. no rhyme or reason of why it happens. It just does. And the guilt, the guilt as well, that was an important takeaway because I think, again, not everybody, but very often when there is a tragic passing or, you know, somebody, you know, I would say losing somebody to suicide, for example, mm-hmm. or, or even more horrible, you know, murder, etc. different case scenarios in my practice. The person, the loved one living that comes to see you, comes for, you know, a bit of like, again, assistance, not going to use help, will have a certain amount of guilt. And with the education piece and my grief work, it's also to to really not just educate them, but it's to walk the path with them right. and explain and make them realize, actually, make them realize it's a very active process, not passive at all. Make them realize that they have not caused the death of their loved one. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, a very, very, very basic example, actually, from David Kessler, I'm quoting him now here. <laughs> He spoke about, I think, one of his friends who lost her mother. And she was in her mid-90s or early 90s and in a home. And the last night before her passing, her mother used to love tortilla soup. And she would bring her the tortilla soup. And she loved it spicy, so the daughter made it. And she thought it was going to be too spicy. That night or the following morning, the mother, the mother passed away. And the daughter, who, who rationally, consciously knew she never killed the mother, lived for a long time with the guilt of, well, if I didn't bring the spicy tortilla soup, my mother would have had a couple of extra days or weeks or months. 
So to us, like this consciously, it seems, no, this is nonsense. Right. But when you're going into, when you're in the depth of it, right. you you know, we have what we call the green brain. We don't think clearly. Right. We have this fog. So it's another example. Anyway, the, the key takeaways, it's that educational piece, I think that was my biggest takeaway. And to use your own life experience, because we are experienced in trauma. We are experienced in, in grief. So... Yeah, I think personal it is a huge thing because so many people they they study they read out of the textbook and but someone who's lived it it has a lot more of an impact because you know what they're going through you you understand and you can then speak from experience as opposed to the textbook which it's not a one size fits all absolutely know? absolutely and and textbooks are amazing I mean you know David Kessler wrote uh, co wrote a few books with Elizabeth Kibler Ross who you know they've adapted the five stages of grief. This is this is amazing, and I mean, I'm I'm reading a lot of books, and right. this really helps me to give a better service to my clients. But as yeah, you said, at the end of the day, yeah. it's also what you've been through, and yeah. the person feels that right. This therapist, this grief educator, can relate to me. This coach right. can relate to me. Right. Gives it maybe a sense of safety as well, and then being heard. Really. I think being heard, having your grief witnessed, even your trauma. We talk about grief, but even people. Trauma outside of grief. Mm-hmm. What they need is a safe sp- yeah. place, a safe space where they can, where their pain can be witnessed, mm-hmm. because it might have never been, you know. Yeah. Now you have a diverse skill set, including being a Reiki master and a psychic medium. So how do these different modalities complement each other in your therapy? Therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> Another inter- very interesting question. Um, <laughs> now, I we could answer just. Uh, Praise it the right way. No, it's um. I was talking about that with one of my uh, so I teach mediumship as well. One of my students this morning, and I was saying she asked me something similar. Uh, now we're not here to prove anything to anybody, but with my practice of mediumship, when I I initially started to really let my my skills unfold when I a good couple of years ago, and everything I do, every training I found, everything I do at the moment has always been led by spirit. So I always was led to the right school, the right mentors, the right tutors. So they opened the way for me to do the grief work, the trauma therapy, the end of life now that I'm, I'm currently at the training as well. So how I'm using it, very simply, people can come to me just for like readings. They want to connect to the loved ones in the spirit world. So that's that's one way of doing it. But then how I use it in my in my other work, it's by tuning into the person's energy mm-hmm. not channeling messages i mean somebody right. comes to therapy i'm not going to say by the way i have your uncle bob here and he right. and, <laughs> you know he's very happy that you brought him some sausages before he passed away i mean right. just but, uh, <laughs> we're not doing that because the important thing i think when you have different modalities is you give to the client what they came for right. somebody comes into therapy he doesn't necessarily want to know or they don't really want to know about the afterlife, but they don't want to know. But it's it's your energy. I'm tuning into his energy and I'm being guided by my own teams of, of spirit. Now, of course, if somebody is asking specifically or is open, then fine. But it's important, I think, for us to respect uh, their beliefs, first of all, because when we work for people, with people and for people, we were actually neutral. I always say this, like we come with, that's me, that's what I offer, that's who I am. I'm here for you. So I'm meeting them where they are. And the modality will really come 
I think naturally which modality is used. And the Reiki, same matter, I think everybody could be a Reiki master, genuinely. It's energy work. It's tapping into my energy, my life force energy, the world's life force energy, the client's life force energy, and helping him with them rebalance their energy. And here again, I do a lot, something I do a lot is hypnotherapy and Reiki. That's been working really well for me. So people would start with 30 minutes of Reiki and then we'll do the hypnosis without bringing them back. You know, so I really enjoy that. So again, naturally, I think energy work goes really well with the modalities I'm offering. But again, respecting clients' boundaries and their beliefs. And we only adapt to them. And if they ask, if they want something specific, then we offer. They know my offer. They know what I do. But if somebody wants to step in therapy, as I said, I'm not going to talk about it. Auntie Margaret or Uncle Bob. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I came up with these words, but anyway, that's the one. No, <laughs> but it's perfect. It, it's, it kind of like same, not the same, like with me. I offer a bunch of stuff. And yeah. not everybody needs that. So I always say, here's everything I do. You tell me what you need and I'll focus that's on that. Right. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> it's very important. Anyway, that's something I'm very, because, you know, we live in a world as well. Let's face it. We have to see it. I mean, it's changing now. In, in England, like out in the UK, in America, people are more open, you know, to spiritual work. In France, it's changing now. I'm, I'm looking into that as well. But like at the end of the day, it, sometimes if you want to work with GPs or with, you know, doctors here, yeah. you know, when you go to them or even hospitals or nursing homes and you show them, right, I'm a psychic reading, I'm a Reiki master. And yeah. they might say, oh my God, this <laughs> She's is crazy. Woman. Yeah. <laughs> and it's sad, and I mean that, it's quite sad, but some yeah, people still think. Sure. And this is why it's important to say, right, but I'm a grief educator, I'm certified, I'm a trauma therapist, I'm a multi world therapist, this is what I'm going to work with you with you know if you want to send me some clients this is what they will get the rest is i like just like yourself part of my offering yeah. we're not you know people have that that and, and i've experienced it have the feeling where oh if i send this person to them they're going to start channeling messages no yeah <laughs> well it is it's a shame because the doctors don't want to be open to this stuff because they're i said years ago it was always the doctors i always say this politics medical it's the same stuff they're no longer with your best interest. It's how much money can I make? So it's almost like they don't want to see you get better because then they lose money. So they'd rather see you sick. So they don't want to find any natural, holistic, or any type of benefit for you because then that's money they're not making. It, it's a shame the world will come in. So I'm glad that people are becoming more open to this because- I Definitely, I do I do feel now there's still a lot of work to do, you know? Yeah. And again, I understand in fairness, but there's been a lot of studies. I'm a very rational person. People call me the rational medium. <laughs> I'm very down to earth. And and I like to, to, to base a lot of my beliefs in science facts. And we know just from that piece that there's been a lot of, you know, near-death experiences and a lot of yeah. studies from like scientific studies that showed that when physical death happens, consciousness goes on. It's been explained, I mean, not by me yeah. in my little flat in Dublin, <laughs> but by scientists. And that's why I said, people, we don't, I mean, we're not, I'm not on a, on a crusade here to, to tell people, yeah, there is enough to life. Right. This is my belief. I know it's there because it's working for me. People who believe in it come to me. But it's very important to also bring people to the science. Science is showing us now there is something. And then right. it's up for them to go where they are not. But yeah. Yeah, they could agree, they could not agree, but you know, like you say, science doesn't lie. <laughs> no, that's what I see when people are very rushed. Well, it's not me. Look, these are yeah. <laughs> somebody is having an idea that experience, and a lot of studies have been 
you know, carried it out in the UK and the States, you know, when people have a near-death experience, they're literally all clinically, physically dead, and they can describe when, when they are brought back, they yeah. can describe exactly what the surgeon was doing yeah. and where, what actually there was, um, you hear a lot of that, people. yeah, how, what was written under the bed. You could even see what the surgeon's wife then did when the surgeon finished. I mean, you can't, that's what I mean. It's, it, it's scientifically proven. But again, we're not yeah. yet. You know, I, I remember um, seeing a movie and it was based on a true story. And it was about a young boy who was maybe six or seven. And he had, I forget, I think he was in an accident or something. And he was, you know, brought to the hospital and he had died on the table and whatnot. So anyway, when he finally came to, he was telling the mom, like, and she was like, are you scared? And he says, no, you know, I don't remember the actual names, but he was saying something like, no, you know, Sally, she took my hand and everything was good. And she's looking like, Sally, where do you get that name? He's like, that's my sister. And she was like, what? She apparently had, um, she had a stillborn baby. Yeah. And buried it in the whole thing. The baby's name was Sally. They named it. And apparently he met her. How would he even know this? You know, so I mean, people can't exactly. make this stuff yeah. up. <laughs> How, no, no, you can't. And it's yeah. actually right. You know, you can't because, uh, again, they're facts. And yeah. that's what I love about my, I mean, my approach is I, I love facts. If somebody mm -hmm. comes with something wishy-washy and just tell me that's, that's how it is. No, no, like, show me. Like, yeah. why would it be like that? So that's right. like fascinating in fairness. It really is. Yeah. 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 Tell us, what are some common challenges your clients face in terms of confidence and self-esteem, and how do you help them overcome them? No, that's an interesting one. I, I think, actually, no, I don't think I'm sure. <laughs> uh, when people come, you know, they come with what they think is the issue. So they'll come. I always offer a free discovery calls. So we have a chat. I never take anybody on therapy coaching Greek without having I talk to them beforehand for free, no obligation, because establishing a rapport with your client is, is, is just a must, you know, and they need to feel safe. So when they come on the call, obviously they come with, you know, their issues, what they think is the issue. You know, quite a lot of the time it is the issue, but right. under any of the issues I work with, there is something linked to, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. All the time. I know it sounds again, people say, oh, Nadia, here she goes again with her confidence and self-esteem because it's the basis, everything. People come to me. I don't do common issues like quit smoking and all this. I know, but I'm really specialized in trauma, confidence building, anxiety, and fears. So somebody comes for weight loss. I never work on the food with them. Never, ever. Right. Never. So they managed to lose weight, not because, oh, Nadia, the therapist tricked my brain to eat healthy food. We do that down the line, yes. But at the beginning is personal work. Trauma work, or even trauma might be a big word, you know, that sometimes people get, you know, a bit spooked by trauma word. But, but what happened to them? Their story. Because their story then is either keeping them safe or pushing them to eat or keeping them building a shield around them for example it's exactly the food and then you realize it always comes to at some stage in my life somebody made me believe i wasn't enough i wasn't listened my needs were not met as a child one of my primary caregivers didn't meet my needs we don't really think about that because you know you ask people well you want anything specific in your childhood no great parents you know everything's fine that's the first thing you want when people think amazing parents all good 
I get suspicious. I said, really amazing. And then you start asking questions and you feel, all right, okay, so, you know, so you were not allowed to eat sweets. You were very much, you know, you were not allowed to be fat. I had a client saying, like, my mother would always make sure she wasn't, she wouldn't get fat from a very young age. So obviously, you can call it the way we want, but it is a type of trauma. And this lady carried something like, oh my God, I'm fat, I'm not good enough, and I'm disappointing mom. But going back again to childhood, to trauma, to self-esteem and confidence. So for me, the main challenges would be, yes, self-sabotage, anxiety, um, fears. But I tend, twerked again so far, I tend to bring it back to what is underneath because these are just symptoms. Anxiety, binge eating, sleepless nights. There are symptoms of something else going on, of the body telling you and the mind together, right, listen to me, something is not right here. And very often it's that sense of wholeness, that sense of like worthiness, that somewhere down the line. I mean, again, as humans, I think we can all agree that we probably all have some sort of like worthiness issues to some extent, but some people will have them, I would say, more intense. That really hinders them in their daily life that they can't get for a job um interview for example people come for like confidence for job interview we work on this yes but then you start just we go back a little bit to see where did that come from you don't get up one morning thinking i'm useless at interviews right. you know so yeah i mean you get a whole new appreciation for how the mind works because there Absolutely. are so many things that are uncovered like i think like I'll just give an example. I was had an accident and I was kind of I had spent one month in a hospital, I had no memory of any of it. Oh it's wow. like anything Sorry would, to hear that. No, I mean I'm okay now, but it took a while and it's like your brain's way of protecting you. But from what I was told, like the doctors would always ask me questions to, to see your your mind. So they would say, like, okay, it's cold out, what would you wear? And I would blurt out some crazy type of textured jacket. To this day, I don't even know what kind of jacket that is. I only knew this from family told It could have been something I saw on TV or whatever. It's all in here. And it's yep. your body's way of protecting you. It uses bits and pieces to accommodate you. But you still have deep-rooted, like like I said, I have no memory of the whole accident, the month in a hospital and everything. But yet, if I'm driving and the car window's open and that wind, I get freaked out. And you go straight in here. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like my body, this was seven, eight years ago. Mm. I still have no memory of it. My mind, obviously, it wasn't pretty, so it's protecting me. But you have a whole new, and look at gut feelings. Your body has a lot of power that we just take for granted. We don't understand it. But your body does try to help you, protect you. Absolutely. Yeah. So uncovering all of that is awesome. And when we say, you know, the body keeps the scar, you know, there's this famous book, the body does keep the scar because when we work anyway in my line of work, we work with the mind, yes. But at some stage, we'll also have to work on the body because one way or another, I mean, I'm not a soma therapist, it's people really specializing in this, but we have to help people to release the trauma from the body. And, and you know, you know, when somebody talks, not just if they cry, you know, you can feel them getting tense, you can feel... The body, you know, or like that anxiety here, that knot in the stomach, the tension in the shoulders, you know, I mean, I'm not again, I'm not a, a Chinese, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, but we, we, they, they explain this very well with, for example, me, 
when I lost my dad and then after my dad passed away, I started to have chest infections, bronchitis, things that never happened, asthma. Why? Because the lungs are obviously grief, you know? That's, again, the, the body is very clever. And as humans, and I heard that, so I think in one of the podcasts a while back, and they're right, we mistreat our bodies all the time. We don't listen. And, and you know, we talk a lot about burnout, etc., because we don't listen to the signs. And I was the same when I had my brain tumors. I know I created them. I generally do, on and heart. I wasn't listening to all the signs saying, girl, you're not on the right path. This is not your life. You know, do something. And then I would dismiss, dismiss. So I had a few physical issues, ailments, one after the other, until one day it became big and I couldn't ignore it. So, so you had to be really stubborn. Your body was shaking your sleep. Uh, uh, generally, and, and I mean, I didn't. I remember when I had the last surgery because I said, this is really the last now. <laughs> the last, and I said, because one of them left me paralyzed for a while. And then, and then the last one, I said, okay. And I spoke at the time. I wasn't so spiritually aware. So I spoke to God, the universe, whoever was there. I said, right, if I go through a promise, I will get my act together. And I will, I will just at least try and find my path. I had this, this nearly this, I don't know, yeah, this promise. I said, I promise. I really, I didn't know who I was promising. <laughs> but I said, I promise. And I did so, the fact that I got better and recovered, like a real, a real second chance again. I know a lot of people have been through something similar. And thankfully, we don't all need to go through that to understand. But I'm happy that at least I got the message. Yeah. And I said, right, because the body talks to you. I mean, and I'm still a victim of it, and I'm sure most of us do i would work all i work a lot and i would feel my back aching and i will feel whatever else my shoulders what do i do put some heat put some cream okay like you know plaster like when we do we're explaining therapy oh here here you're gonna get better put a bit of a bandage but we never treat why am my shoulder aching why is my back aching because they're telling me Right, you work too much to tell me sleep more no you know we're still stubborn Until you're blocked, and then you need to go to the osteopath. And you think, oh, okay. And it is a message now. <laughs> yeah, after a third session of the osteopath, then you think, right, okay. <laughs> then you do it again sometimes, two years later. But it, it is wonderful how the mind and the body work together. And, and, and it becomes really fascinating. I love what I do, really, because you learn so much every day, and every client will, will teach you something. So it's, 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 it's infinite, really. It's awesome. Mm. Now, can you discuss your approach to helping clients manage anxiety and symptoms stemming from traumatic experiences? So, yeah, <laughs> I always tell them, and I think that's something, I, I, I mean, I've learned that a long time ago, but when I trained with David Kessler, there's okay. something else that really stuck with me that I use in my trauma work. So I'm eating my ear hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my trauma work and my grief work, it's making a distinction between the facts and the stories. So how people with anxiety is, right, what is the fact? Well, I can talk about they take any type. Sometimes people don't know why they're anxious, but you know, anxiety is very crippling. Uh, I think we can agree on this. And when we work around anxiety at the beginning, it's always the same. It's people think, well, I have a lot in my stomach, I have palpitations, I'm sweating, I can't sleep, etc. I can't eat, whatever, depending on the severity of, of the anxiety. And linked to fear as well, you know, a lot of time people will live in fear and then in anxiety. And you'll ask, so 
what happened, when did it start, you take a you know comprehensive thorough uh, case history, then you realize very often that there was the I would say the initial event or something happened where the anxiety got really bad. And then the anxiety gets worse because we top up with creating stories. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has social anxiety, maybe something happened when he was at school and somebody mocked him and then that's it. Boom. Event. Now I can't speak in public. I can't be with too many people because I get anxious. So the fact is real. Something happened in school or somebody laughed at him when he talked about whatever. Uh, the teacher asked for everybody to talk about the family, the stories, the child talks, the pupil talks. Everybody laughs at him. He feels humiliated. Then he starts. He goes into high school, goes to college, university, etc. And he carries this wound of, I'm not good at talking. Oh, my God. Don't make me talk. I can't do that. He gets a good job in the company. And he's not very good at putting himself forward for presentation, etc. So one event happened, but then the person, very often the child, even then the adult, keeps topping it up. It's like topping your phone up with stories. Stories of, oh no, because the mind, as you said, keeps you safe. The mind says, remember what happened to you when you were six? You speak in front of all these people. This is what's going to happen. But then we fuel it with more stories. And that's how you get crippled. So I help people. And ravel those stories. That's right. What is the fact? Yeah, let's tidy. We do a bit of spring cleaning. Right. <laughs> what is the fact? What are the facts? Because they're valid facts. And we all need a, a certain amount of anxiety because it keeps us alive as well. Mm-hmm. You need to know if you cross the road, you need to be alert. Right. right. Is it green? Can I, can I, you know, can I cross? That's, right. that's the positive. Take fear coming at you. Be afraid. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Good fear. Yeah. You need to, or somebody is trying, you know, to attack you. Obviously, thankfully, yeah. you have those, you know, anxious and fearful feelings because you need to protect yourself. Right. Like the animal kingdom, that's what they do, you know. Yeah. But then, obviously, very often in, in our society, anxiety is crippling. It's hindering you. And then, but that's, and there's no miracle cure. But once you start helping people to understand how the brain works, that it protects you, but also to unravel all the stories, the person can see clearly and think, ah, okay, so this is a cognitive distortion sometimes, you know, it's not true. And it's also uh, helping them understand it is not true because right. it doesn't it is, doesn't exist. Yes, it's in your body, but this is not happening. Right. You know, when we project, when we're overworry, when we're anxious about potential things to come, these are stories. They are not the facts. So it takes time, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. We, we get there in the end. No, but it's good because... Most normal people don't know this. They have no clue where it stems from. And you'd never see it yourself. So it's awesome that you can help uncover because you just never assume what what's happening to me at this age is something that happened to me when I was five years old. You know, it, it really, I mean, it, I just know from my own personal experience, it, yeah. it's like taking a weight off your shoulders. Like, oh, now you know, and now you can work around it or work with it, but in a more productive way. And, you know, so that's and awesome. I, had, I, I had a client that, very briefly, he had a client, he was in his 40s, a couple, of, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, and he lived in the countryside here in Ireland, and he came to me, so I'm vegan, I love animals, and that, that's my, my belief, and he came to me for a fear of frogs, it was funny, because I'm French, and I thought he was joking, he said, are you really joking, like, you're a fear of frogs, and we had a bit of a laugh, he said, no, no, I generally have a fear of frogs, I said, okay, so, and, and, so we chatted and everything. He was very anxious. So he lived in the countryside. It was a pond and he could hear the frogs. He was very spooked. 
And then we were just chatted, and the initially was just I think the, the 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 discovery call, and asked him what oh how was his childhood, just like basic question as a therapist woman through with how did he go at, at school and all that. And then as we were talking, he, he remembered he actually triggered something. He said, "Oh my God, when I was in primary school, my mates at school wanted to have like a joke, and." They were, you know, outside and near near the water, near the pond, and they actually threw a frog at him, or two frogs at him. He was very small, and that spooked him. And I, you know, again, it sounds very weird, you know, <laughs> from the outside, from the adult. Right. Looked at him, oh my god! And that stuck with him that frog danger, frog attacking me, but not the frog. Mm. People were attacking him. Not the frog. And the frog was actually okay, a symbol of my attack when I was in primary school. So then when you would walk along the pond, you would hear the fox and he would like, he would just, you know, the mind would bring him back because that's what the subconscious does. Huh? The subconscious, by trying to protect you, replace, it's like a broken record, right. replace the scenario until, as I explained, you weed out and you replace by a more positive pattern. Right. And then we would go there I mean, we were together and he's fine with frogs now. And <laughs> because we dissociated that, yeah. frogs, not danger. That's crazy. No, another I, example, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to always. I mean, I was in a relationship, you know, very bad, abusive relationship. I couldn't get out of it. Blah blah blah. What's happened? That I used to have uh, nightmares for years about being stuck in an elevator, and it was a say. I don't normally remember my dreams, but this was going on every single night. Just terrified. I knew the elevator. I was stuck in it, and um, I remember talking to somebody, and they were like, "That's basically you're trapped." You're stuck in something that you can't get out of. You know, yeah. once I was finally out of that relationship, I've never had that dream again. But your body is trying to tell you. It can't just write it out for you, but it's trying to That's tell right. you something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and it, it, it's trying to show you what needs to be addressed. But again, because, and I get it, we're busy, but life is super fast. It's a fast-paced life nowadays. But unfortunately, and unfortunately, yes, we have social media and all this, we wouldn't have met otherwise, you know, like right. that, that's the beauty of all this. But we also tend now to, to nearly kind of numb ourselves right. in the middle of all this, you know, and then we, we forget to listen to our body, to, to nature, to the sounds. I mean, when we all go out, you know, you go to whatever, the shops or you walk, we all have a music or earpods or whatever. We forget to even how, how does it sound to, you know, listen to the birds singing or anything, some, something very simple. Yeah. So we can't even do that. How are we going to listen to our bodies? And we, we were very good at just, oh, cream or whatever, pills, whatever, yeah. just numb, numb, numb. Yeah. I think we really are in a society where we're just numbing everything because, you know, and that will tie it up with grief. We're not equipped anymore to see pain. We're not equipped anymore. So somebody is in pain. What do you want to do? Fix him. Yeah. Have a drink or something. Because I cannot stand you in to see your pain. Yeah. So but even with the pain, it's like, you know, we get it. But normal people don't know what it stems from. So it's great that yeah. you're helping people bring that out because you don't realize that this stems from decades ago. You know, Absolutely. so having someone like you bring it out is really important. So now tell me, healing the inner child is a significant aspect of your work. So explain the concept and its importance to overcoming attachment wounds. No. Inner child, uh, it's an interesting one again. <laughs> again, I think you all, you all kind of ties in very nicely what we talked about before. So the concept of the inner child was a couple of decades now ago, probably I can't remember the date exactly, but the thing was 
parents, adoptive parents, tutors, primary caregivers. Yeah. Yeah, people have to take a closer look. Now, you offer a free five-minute mindfulness meditation for relaxation and body, and body tension release. Can you share how mindfulness practices can aid in trauma and grief relief, grief recovery? So I think when I started to look into mindfulness, I should have looked into this earlier, but better late than ever, as my mom would say, better yeah. late than ever. <laughs> uh, mindfulness for me is the key to everything, to, to a peaceful life. I don't even like to say happy life because happiness is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. At least to a peaceful life because mindfulness, especially for anxiety, for trauma, for grief, brings us to now. How am I feeling now? What is going on in my body now? And I think the beauty of of mindfulness is, again, it's at the end of the day, it's a very basic concept. Present moment. Thank you, Kat Tolle has spoken a lot, still speaks a lot about that. There's nothing else in the present. But the human mind, the trauma brain, the grief brain, um, the anxious brain, always bring us either in the past or in the future. Okay. We travel usually from the past to the future, skipping the present. So, to me, mindfulness is also key to to just a peaceful life, like for everybody. It's hard one again due to the fact that it's a different society we live in as well. We, we, we you know, we pulled in every direction. So, oh, this this next week, are we going away? <laughs> you want to book a ticket? We're already projected in six months' time, eight months' time. So now. And my friend asked me, oh, do you want to go to, sometimes you need to plan things, obviously, but when people ask me for the things that is, is too much in the future, I'm, I'm already, no, I'm gone, I don't know. Right. I don't know yet. Let me stay <laughs> where I'm now, now. I'll get back to you. <laughs> that's how we live, in that future or past. Yeah. Trauma, grief, past a lot, and then obviously anxiety, it's the future as well. Yeah. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. It is that vicious loop. And, and there's a lot of mindfulness practitioners out there. We're amazing people. Mm-hmm. It's very complementary to what I do as well. I don't, I'm not mindfulness as such, you know, teacher or practitioner. I, I include some techniques in my work. Mm-hmm. It, it's really to give some, I always explain to people when we work together, when we start working together, is that I'm a facilitator and I'm helping them build a toolbox. It's a bit like Bob the Builder. Okay. You build your toolbox. Right. And then when difficulty arises, you just use the tool you need. You get on with it because we're That's not awesome. fixing anybody. Nobody's broken. No need to right. be fixed. And every therapeutic process is active. The person has an active role in their own. You know, you have to rescue yourself. I think Tony Robbins said something along the line that you have to participate in your own rescue. Yeah. So we just facilitate whoever we are, therapists, grief educators, counselors, Mindfulness practitioner, yoga teacher, we yeah. we just help people to have tools in the toolbox and that they know because nobody can delete the past, nobody can change how they feel just now, mm-hmm. but they can do it using their own tools then. Awesome. Good job. <laughs> now, for our listeners who may be dealing with grief or trauma, what initial steps or advice would you offer for beginning and healing journey? Well, I think, as I said, it, it's really the, the, the free call for me. It's get on that free call because for two, a couple of reasons. First of all, it's free <laughs> because I wouldn't like to pay somebody right. I have never seen. I don't know. I wouldn't like to do that right. personally. And second is 
the person you're going to speak to, both of them, me, like the therapist, the coach, sorry, the refugee and the client, need to make sure we're on the same wavelength. Do I understand what you're telling me? Do you, do you feel you can speak to me? Second point. Third point is, then I'm going to explain what I do exactly, how I work. Mm-hmm. Is that okay with you? It's really like, it's really like, a, <laughs> my friends laugh when I say that. It's like speed dating. Not <laughs> with, like speed dating. It's like, like speed therapy dating or coaching yeah. dating. <laughs> that's who I am. That's what I do. That's what I need help with. Then I explain. Then I, you know, I might even challenge them on some stuff as well. Right. We bond. It's a rapport. We start building rapport here. Right. And then you see, you feel, I always say to people, I promote myself as a person so people know I'm out there, like a lot of, you know, people who do, but I never really push for my therapy or my mediumship or anything else. I don't need to. It's an energetic thing. People know if they're ready, come to me. If they're not, maybe it's not, they're not for me and I'm not for them. The main thing is that they get what they need at the time they need it, whoever it is. But to me, it's very important. The initial step would be that because then therapy and grief work and trauma work are very important steps. And you don't want to, to have to tell your story to, to someone who is maybe not able to meet you where you are on your journey. Right. Yeah. Then you're wasting each other's time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about that we didn't cover yet? Oh, God, don't say that. We <laughs> <laughs> would need another two days. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I think it's what I would like maybe to finish on would really be you have the answers. I say that to everybody. We all have the answers within ourselves. But sometimes, as you mentioned a couple of times yourself, it's hidden to protect us. The resources are actually hidden because the mind would rather be in the discomfort because it's familiar than unravel all this and let you use your resources. So I think that final words would be, you are all powerful creators, genuinely. Something I learned in my own therapy with my amazing hypnotherapy teacher is you're not an unfortunate victim of your past circumstances. No. You're an ingenious survivor. When you know, once you know that, right, you're going to start doing the work. No. And, and, and you have all the tools. People like myself are just facilitators. It's really important because I don't want people to hang on with me for years. My no. God. We have a couple of sessions. Sometimes they do need a good couple of sessions when we work on trauma and grief. You know, there's no limit. But it's about empowering people to see that stuff that is difficult. But I have the answers now. I'm equipped. I can deal with it. And then maybe come up with a top-up. So that's really it. My my, my final words will be, you've got everything within you. Just find the person who can help you to unleash that so you can then get on with with your life. Yeah, that's great. That's better than the doctors nowadays. Or, you know, I knew somebody who was in therapy for 15 years. It's like, it was a, a couple's therapy. They wound up getting divorced, but it was kind of like 15 years. I mean, come on, it shouldn't, but what you're doing is great because you're, you're helping them, but you're equipping them to be able to yeah. handle this on their own. That's, that's the base awesome. of empowerment. You know, I had, I had a client that was really, actually, I laughed. I wasn't funny on that at the moment, but, uh, she came to me, it was a client to start to work with, and then she said, oh, Nadia, I need to introduce you to somebody. She's amazing. She's my sex therapist. So okay. I mean, I'm always happy. I love networking, meeting people. I'm a people's person. I've been working with her for 22 years, every Monday. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Someone just was in, came in to me and I said, oh, my God. I didn't see anything to the client, obviously, but yeah. 22 years every Monday. I mean, talking about empowerment. 
we need therapy. There's no limit to therapy. I mean, I have people who could work in for two years. But at some stage, I do push back. I had a couple of clients said, oh, no, I now have this and I have that. I said, no, you suffer from what we call the withdrawal symptom. Nadia's withdrawal. You don't need me anymore. Go and spread your wings and see. Life happens to everybody, for everybody. Once we have the, as many tools as we can, just use them, you know, and and see how we get on. And then if we need extra help, then yes. But we have to also go into the world like a baby, you know. Yeah. The baby will, will start crawling and then walking. Yeah. And they'll fall a couple of times, but then they'll get back up and walk again. So right. that's really, for me, the principle of empowerment. Yeah. How can people get a hold of you? No, uh, <laughs> if they put my first name and surname and they put Dublin or Ireland, they'll definitely find me. There's only one. <laughs> Uh, and then otherwise, my website, on my website, they will find all my social medias. Again, my social media is my first name and my, my surname. My website is www.nbhypnotherapy-mindcoaching.com. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm very responsive. I love what I do. So if they don't get an answer, it really is that I, I didn't see it. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Again, that was Nadia Bajrami. Thanks for listening to Successful Minds with Patty P. Never miss an episode by subscribing. And be sure to click the bell notification to be notified of new episodes. So thank thank you. you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Successful Minds with your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>